Before you listen to this podcast, you can subscribe to The Critic magazine with the current offer of five issues for just £10. Head to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk, to subscribe today. Hello and welcome back to The Critic podcast. Should heritage be preserved at all costs, or can defunct and forgotten buildings make space for better use? On this week's edition, our online editor, David Scullion, discusses with Bryce Stratford about the restoration of Parliament and the heel-dragging by MPs over what should be done. Stratford argues that there are parallels between today and the conditions in 1834, just before the palace was destroyed by fire. Bryce Stratford is a director who's worked primarily in classical and Shakespearean theatre and who founded his own theatre company. Bryce, you take a keen interest in heritage and especially London's heritage, but I've noticed you, you, you've got quite a lot of people in your crosshairs. Some of the recent articles you've, some of the recent articles you've written for the critic, you've, you've, you've written pretty scathing pieces. Whitechapel's bow foundries, uh, Alan Hughes, you, you, you're not a fan of him. Tower Hamlet's Labour council leaders, I'm not a fan of them. Especially um, Abdul Mukit, MBE, Robert Jenrick, you don't like him either. Uh, uh, <laughs> Why do you list them like that? Yeah, in your recent article, Burning the House, you, you take aim at Dehenna Davison, Tory MP for Bishop Auckland. Yes. Uh, uh, you don't like her either. Dehenna, apparently, is uh, is how you is how you Deanna, that. That's Deanna, it. Rhymes yes, with Vienna. Rhymes with Vienna. That's, that's exactly Deanna. how it, yes. that's what she says. That's what she speech recently about how much she wanted to keep costs low with the renovation of Parliament. Mm. And then she tweeted out a part of her speech and she wrote, Instead of spending £500 million on gold-plating Parliament, I'd rather spend money on stuff that matters to my constituents, like the Toft Hill Bypass, the A&E, Sunnydale School. And it's fair to say that tweet, it triggered you, didn't it? It triggered me. Gosh. Oh, David. I was triggered all over the shop, actually. Why did that trigger you so so hard? <laughs> well, it's just, I mean, with with all due respect to, to Deanna Davis, she does seem like a fairly solid backbencher constituency MP. Um, and she's and she's doing her bit, but, but the thing is that um, obviously an MP isn't a local councillor, and you can't just and grandstanding in such a in such a daft, naive, ignorant way is um, that will have I'm sure done her lots of favours at a constituency level, where the where the Toft Hill bypass matters a lot more than than the the Palace of Westminster. But, but you, um, you go a bit further than that in the piece, so don't you? I mean, you write. Okay, you want me to be nasty? The disdain for and ignorance of built heritage and the complex and nuanced realities of restoration and repair flows through the oversimplified speech as the river where flows through Davison's County Durham. Yeah. Yeah, is is that a bit much? Um, No, I don't think it is a bit much because the thing is, um, all there are, there's an infinity of, um, of, of hostile forces lined up against um, built heritage. It is, it's, it, it requires a constant and active effort on the part of everyone, both those in authority and those on the ground, in order to maintain and to keep them going from generation to generation. It, it needs all the help it can get. And when people in positions of significant power, I mean, yes, it's just <laughs> Bishop Auckland, but she's in Parliament. She's in the bloody house that, she, that she's arguing against the restoration of. We need people to fight to fight that corner, to fight those battles, and it, and and it's almost worse when you get those weasel words. The 
the the buts and the well actually and the, yeah, oh of course I can see that this is a really important building. She has no I she doesn't know why it's an important building. She's just saying like because she's seen it written down somewhere that it's an important building. So oh of course it's an important building, but at the same time it's really important that we're not out for more than six months. That's the why is that the priority? That's ridiculous. In ten years, in fifty years, in in another five hundred years, will anyone care? whether Parliament was out for six months or 12 months or three years. No, no one, it won't make any difference. But if, if they rush the job and, and Parliament burns down again, or, or worse, I don't know what worse would be, I don't know, falls into a, into a hole, a, a huge Westminster sinkhole, Although some would say it already had, eh, David? Um, <laughs> I, 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 guess the, I guess there is a, there is a heritage argument, isn't there, for not moving all MPs the, the full decant option because a lot of MPs are worried, backbench Tory MPs especially, are worried that if people move out, the culture will change, you won't have the uh, you won't have all the traditions, you won't have Black Rod knocking on the door. Yes, no, I agree. The speaker dragged yeah. to his chair. Is that not also a danger? I mean, isn't that part of the kind of the living heritage of Yeah, I agree. I think that we should have I think that um, we should be very silly about it, frankly. I think we should keep Black Rod in a hard hat um, doing his bit, even though there's no one else around uh, during the decant um so you want a full decant you want all MPs to move out oh no i don't i don't really i want the building to be prioritized i want the um the the the, the proper highest level refurbishment and um and repair of the building to be the priority uh i think that as a second priority maintaining living traditions um during during that uh during that decant um is important and of course we want the, but the culture's already changed. They've been out, you know, over the last year. We might as well take the opportunity of having had this unprecedented culture shock of um, of Parliament closed and everything being done by Zoom. We might as well take that opportunity to commit to just extending the culture shock by another couple of years and doing this properly. Mm. Um, we, you know, obviously it presented lots of issues, but uh, but the building is more important than 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 that but do, do you is this just parliament do you say this about everything because in the in the in your article about the whitechapel bowfell mm. foundry which you, you you care a lot about you say at the end of the piece you say raise a glass and stay briefly silent tonight in remembrance of the whitechapel bow foundry it has been murdered your children would live in an emptier world because of it yes and i stand there yeah yeah, yeah. nothing hyperbolic there at but all. is this everything so it's, you but you I, you just well, love heritage yeah. buildings i do love it but also the whitechapel bow foundry is um is more than just a heritage building and just a heritage building is more than just a heritage building of course but the white bell foundry is this the, you mentioned that oh the traditions will die out at parliament of course the traditions won't die out they'll simply pause they'll pause by a year or two maybe and they'll continue a tradition is so long as living people are continuing the tradition then it's continued it's not like um it's going to start again in a hundred years that would be the death of it it will start up as soon as Parliament's back in. The Whitechapel Bell Foundry is something different. Um, so it closed in 2017. If that is, if, if, if it is brought back into being as a, as a working bell foundry or, or a working foundry of any sort, within living memory of it closing, then that tradition has been maintained. There's, a, there's a, I think, an ancient Roman concept called a secular or a seculum, which is uh, where we get the word secular from um and it, it it means the the period of human life and living memory um generally about a hundred years but it's 
it's um, the point at which you can't, no one is alive who can remember when it was mm. different. Um, and that really is the, and obviously that's why secular means worldly rather than uh, godly, because um, it's tied to human memory, to human experience. And so long as um, something is kept within that secular, that seculum, then um, it, it's alive, it's maintained. That tradition hasn't died out. The White Table Bell Foundry doesn't need to die out. That that tradition, that living heritage tradition, which goes back to Christ, when Shakespeare was was a child, before he could write or read, mm. the Bell Foundry was, was, I mean, not that specific building, admittedly, but that company, that foundry, was making bells. It's, it, it, I mean, obviously... You can read the article if you like, folks. But I mean, I, I don't need to go into details of why that bell foundry is so phenomenally, astonishingly important. It is. It's got unprecedented. There, there, there's, no, there's nowhere else in the country that compares to it. A living industrial heritage, which, which, which predates the Industrial Revolution. That could continue. That could be saved. And taking I th in one of the in, in an article, I liken the um, the. The, the historic England obsession with adaptive reuse to um, to killing something and making the corpse up look like it's alive rather than working to keep the thing alive in the first place. And that's exactly what the Bell Foundry is. They want to gut the Bell Foundry, keep this facade of a listed building mm. and, and, and add some hideous great looming carbuncle onto the back of it in some awful modernist design. So what, what actually went wrong with that? I mean, why does it? Why is it closing if it, if it doesn't have to close? That's Alan Hughes, isn't it? That's, uh, what's frustrated me a lot about the... Um, about all the... So Alan Hughes is the, the, the chap who, whose family it's been in. Yes, yeah. Well, yeah, so it's been in his family. The, 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 the foundry had been in his family since the beginning of the 20th century, I think 1904. Mm -hmm. I might be wrong. Don't, don't quote me on that. So it's around, around then. Um, and I think that he was the third or maybe the fourth of his family to um, to take possession of it. Now, the, obviously, in the, throughout the 20th century, there's been a lot of change, a lot of shifts in the demand for, for, for bells, for church bells especially. But, you know, the foundry does other things. Mm -hmm. And throughout the Second World War, the, the foundry business was booming. Uh, it, it obviously had a lot to do in the, in the country that wasn't just bells. <laughs> but acting as a working foundry throughout the war was vital. And then after the war, there were an awful lot of churches that needed new bells for obvious reasons. It was in the 70s. And then in 1950, in, at the Festival of Britain in 1951, they, there was, they had a huge high-profile job um, creating a memorial bell for the, for the festival. It isn't until the 1970s when the fortunes of the foundry start to nosedive. And it's the 1970s when Alan Hughes takes it over. Mm. He, the simple fact is, whilst they're pushing this narrative that the Bell Foundry has died because the world has changed and because this has happened and it simply can't be viable, the reality is that Alan Hughes isn't, isn't equipped. And I don't doubt that he loves the place. Of course he does. It's his literal legacy and he's let it die. He's let his family legacy die. And I sympathise with him. But there's a hubris at play here. And I think that he needs to acknowledge that maybe he just wasn't very good at running a foundry. He was given... I mean, I can't really conceive of a greater or more important 
piece of foundry legacy to have been given to someone. He had everything going for him, and he has just consistently driven it into the ground. And I, he, he could have put it on the open market. There are, there is, I mean, there's obviously the London Bell Foundry who are desperate to buy the thing and keep it going. But I get the impression that Unused doesn't want someone else to buy it and make a success of it as a foundry because mm. all that will do is shine a light on the fact that he failed at the moment. It, it, it's Schrodinger's, um, it's Schrodinger's economic collapse. Mm. So long as he, so long as he makes sure that it fails, then it will always be the case that it was doomed to failure. Mm. Um, if he sells it to someone who makes it work as a foundry, then it becomes his personal failure to maintain the foundry and not just an inevitability because of the changing state of the world. Is that not okay, though? I mean, it's, it's been in his family. It's, it's, it's not that long. It's been in his family for, what, just over 100 years? I mean, a, a secular, in fact, a secular. But I mean, in, in, in the grand scheme of things, in the history of the Bell Foundry, that's just a, that's, that's not, that's a fraction. That's not a huge proportion of it. The Bell Foundry is much, it's not like his foundry, it's not like his family established the foundry. Mm. It's not like, if his family defines the foundry, then it will be different. His choosing to end it will be a part of that 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 history, which is whereby the family and the foundry are twined. That's not the case. Mm. His family did not build it, he, and he certainly didn't build anything. His family simply bought a successful, historic, ongoing piece of industry. Um, a couple of them did a good job of it, and then he took over, what, seven, 1970, 50-odd years ago, and made it and, and and drove it into the into the ground. And of course he tried his best. I don't dispute that. I'm sure he's a nice enough guy, but this is a huge blind spot. And frankly, regardless of how nice he is, and regardless of how justified he feels, or regardless of how sad he is, he is still responsible for a horrific heritage crime, which not only wounds everyone alive, but will wound every future generation in this country. Mm. You uh, take aim at a lot of uh, Tower Hamlet's decisions and, and decisions. That and they're the made, real ones. They're the real bastards. I mean, what's going on? Why does why do people not really care about heritage, or do you think it's just purely Tower Hamlet's and Robert Jenrick who are to blame? <laughs> well, I think uh, Jenrick's more out of his depth than anything. He's just sodding it all up. He's. I think that actually, you know what? Now, maybe who knows? Who knows, Jenrick? But Tower Hamlet's council. Um, and, and specifically the planning committee of mm. Tower Hamlet's Council. Um, Adol Mukit, MBE, is the chairman thereof. They, they are to blame. It's, there, are, there are too many examples. The Mulberry Tree, the, the Bell Foundry. What's and, the Mulberry Tree? Explain that. Uh, the Mulberry Tree is an approximately 400-year-old mulberry tree, which... Um, is an import which, <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds it sounds obviously twee, but mm. it is. Um, but I mean, and, and there was that. Is. What's happened to it? Well, well, it's just been saved, David. <laughs> um, it there was a in in brief a there was a planning application to throw up a uh, by by a developer to throw up a load of luxury flats with in frankly an ugly bad development. Um, and as part of it, they wanted to, uh, it's a protected tree, obviously. Um, so they came up with some lip service, oh, we'll move the tree, mm. and knowing full well that that would kill the tree. Um, it was just enough that um, biased councillors could, could tick the box and then approve it, knowing, knowing full well they would kill it. 
Um, the, the tree is obviously literally centuries old. It's already supposed to be protected in planning law, and it is significant culturally within the area. Um, it is. It's very significant. There's a, there's a, there's a woodcut of it from from uh, from Henry VIII's time, I think. It's. And the fact is, once if you just take all the good stuff, take all the things that mean something away, and throw up luxury flats that no one can afford. I'm also sick of Tower Hamlets. The borough of Tower Hamlets has had these terrible problems for decades, right? And I don't think we can just say, oh, it's inherent. It's had the same council for, for decades. Why haven't they fixed it? They seem to revel in these problems. And yes, it's got... It's got the most poverty-struck um, areas in the city. It's also got Canary Wharf. Hmm. Let's not forget. It's it's also got the Tower of London. It's it's it isn't that it's just a terrible underprivileged area. It's got this. It, it has got some of the most privileged, most expensive places. It's got insane money sloshing through it, and it has done for a while. So you're saying they don't need to be trying to make money by selling off. I'm saying what they need to do is they need to respect the uh, the pre-existing culture and community that exists in the run-down areas rather than trying to to cauterize it so that they can spread the, the soulless Canary Wharf-style luxury developments across. Um, what they're... What really... What they're... The, the Tower Hamlet's development schemes seem to be pretty much just about destroying um, the underprivileged communities mm. or forcing them out into other boroughs. It's not, it isn't, in spite of all the, the positive nonsense that's spouted, it isn't about improving them or, or helping them. If it was, you'd, then, then they would want to keep the Bell Foundry mm. as a foundry. They, they, would want, they would want to keep the Mulberry Tree. But this is not just a case of kind of, so Tower Hamlet is a, is a Labour council. But we've also got the Tory government, Robert Jemmerich's yeah, yeah, housing So he's part of a Tory government. And that's, it doesn't seem like they are very committed to preserving heritage as well. No, no, I, I agree. It, it, it isn't... Uh, I only highlight the, the Labour element of that council because of the extra level of hypocrisy that's involved in that. This is not a partisan issue. This is, mm. this is across the board. This is about um, a, a bland establishment who are essentially ignorant. And in fact, one could say this is... It, it is potentially back down to how we change the way that we teach heritage and the and the way that we um, teach people to engage with that heritage and with their own culture. Um, that it's it's created a generation of um, of people who, even the ones who really want to in, enjoy it and engage with it, for the most part, they you know they they don't really have an easy guide to. So it becomes a partisan mm. issue. It becomes reacting against stuff that they feel is wrong and the, you know generally they're they're right about the feelings but they don't necessarily know know, know specifically why that feeling mm. is there and why it's justified and so the whole thing becomes this hostile back and forth the the government is happy to grandstand about about statues and and don't get me wrong i want to keep all the statues mm. i want more statues mm. i want statues I want statues everywhere. I want, I want, I want the statues. Line, line the streets with statues. Line the streets with statues. Then new put statues on top of the statues. The new housing developments all need. Yeah, yeah, all, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every housing development <laughs> should have at least five statues, totem poles of statues piled on top of each other. Um, if there's an underrepresented portion of the culture, then don't take away the other statues. Mm. Add more statues to represent it. Statues are great. Love me a statue. So I'm not hostile to the statue thing, but. 
they're willing to exploit the statue thing because it's an easy and emotive topic um, which can win them or help entrench support mm. in places where 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 people are haven't been trained to hate that sort of thing. Mm. But it goes deeper than that. And the only reason that the statue stuff is selfish is because everyone can see there's a statue there. Mm. It becomes a part of the landscape. A lot of the time, heritage buildings, and especially ones that you've been allowed to fall into dereliction, to crumble, it takes a bit of imagination and knowledge to be able to see what it could be and to be able to read the language of the building, to be able to interpret the um the historic significance in in that particular brickwork mm. or, or in that type of plaster or that design of window uh, or the reason that that extension is there and what it was that led to this strange development over the over the generations it it takes a bit it, it, i think of it there's so in the british museum my favorite piece is this obscure thing called the chewbacca stone mm. and it's a um it's a large round stone covered in these tiny um, intricate um, hieroglyphs, uh, and it's from um, oh, uh, it's 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 from Memphis, um, not the Elvis one, the other one, and it mm. tells a version of the creation myth which emphasises the local gods, mm. and this is so a sacred item, um, it maintained by by the area by the kings because this this is a version an account of history which really puts them front and centre hugely important, more important than countless lives, kept through the generations, and it survived to today. And in the middle of this, there's a huge, in the middle of this sacred object, there's a great hole. Mm. And then around it, there are these, I think, five roughly hewn, scored lines coming out of the centre, um, obliterating this um, this item, which was more important than, as I say, countless, countless lives, countless slaves, countless generations. The absolute apotheosis of this culture is this story and there's this little uh, plaque next to it that says that um the damage is from a later a later civilization who used it as a millstone <laughs> and if you don't understand that for me that is the british museum for me and if, if you don't understand the hieroglyphs then it's nothing it's a millstone yeah. If you can't read that language then regardless of how important how significant it is it's just a lump of rock. And that's the trouble with, with especially with, with developers who know what they're doing, who buy properties up, leave them empty for five years, make sure all the windows are left open, make sure that, um, that, <laughs> that, that there's not enough security to stop squatters and, and, um, and, and urban explorers and just drunks. They allow them to fall into disrepair, into dereliction. They allow them to become ugly to the point where people just see an eyesore and they mm. just say, knock it down. I mean, Christ, we've got enough of a problem with this crab bucket society where where one town is so jealous and bitter of a slightly nicer town that they celebrate the constant gradual destruction of it so everyone can, can live in, in bleak, ugly misery. It's we need to, to teach people the value of the mm. culture that they're that they're from and specifically what would that what would that mean it would mean maybe a bit less of the constant shame and guilt and 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 self-hatred and self-harm a bit acknowledging because obviously people don't want to feel ashamed people don't want to hate themselves mm. and where they're from mm. and the majority of people simply don't because it's not sustainable and regardless of what they're told they won't but if you don't teach them the things which justify feelings of, 
local or national pride, then they'll just grab it in the wrong places. Just they'll, it comes down to feelings. You can't get rid of the feeling of wanting to be proud of where you're from and caring about where you're from and caring about your culture and heritage. And if we don't train people and teach people how to engage with and understand those feelings, then it just becomes this, it just becomes a big argument about statues. Mm. Um, finally, just just coming a bit back to your uh, your piece about Parliament, you um, you mentioned the, the Westminster Fire of, of, of eighteen thirty four. Um, what are the parallels? If you see any parallels with with what's happening today? Well, yes, I do. the The fire in eighteen thirty four came after literally about fifty years of um, of of official warnings mm. um, and you know, not not just newspapers but but architects experts saying this was a danger and it was hummed and hawed and nodded and 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 chins were stroked and heads were scratched and MPs spoke for the sake of speaking and decided to prioritize their own popularity in their constituency over actually fixing things um, and decided to to, to, to decide to, to treat themselves as experts in something they knew nothing about just because of where they were sitting and the 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 equivocation and and the lollygagging and the whataboutism just meant that it dragged on and on and on and for 50 years nothing was done and then 700 years of heritage and and history and culture was lost 50 years is long enough I mean, it, it, and actually yeah, there's plenty. Look at Carham Hall up in Northumberland, which for over 30 years, in 1988, it was mistakenly delisted, which sounds to me like someone was bunged a backhander mm. to, for, for whatever reason. Um, it was mistakenly delisted. And for over 30 years, it has been left and ignored. And somehow nobody has ever noticed. Mm. No county conservation officer, no local historian... Um, no survey of the area from historic England, nothing. No one has noticed for over 30 years that this building that was gradually crumbling, being knocked about, slapped about, should be listed and hadn't been. Um, or had been de actively delisted for no reason that anyone can, can mm. say. It is only, it was, on, it was about to be demolished. And the local council said, oh yeah, no, go demolish it. No, look, it's not listed. There's nothing we can do about it. It's permitted development. It's only thanks to the Victorian Society pushing a hard campaign which forced Historic England to acknowledge and admit that it should be, should be listed and that they have no idea why it was delisted and no one's checked in the meantime. And, that, and they're acting like this is nothing, like this is mm. fine, like this is, some, this is an acceptable way to go about their business. So yeah, I mean, I, I suppose instead of it being 50 years, it's what, 34, 35 years now. So I suppose maybe things have improved slightly <laughs> in the last 200 odd years, but, but not much. People are still people and they're still bloody idiots. So you think heritage is more, you, you need, it's more of an active process of you yeah, constantly fighting absolutely. to preserve things rather than... Yes, heritage is, heritage is culture because heritage requires... The preservation and maintenance of heritage requires everyone in a culture to agree on a single set of values. Um, to, to say this is important and we all agree, this is beautiful mm. and we all agree, this tells us something about ourselves and we all understand what that is. And we will all work together, even if it's at arm's length or indirectly or through a representative, 
we will all work together to to just keep it alive, to 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 clean, to repair, to mend, to maintain. And I think that I think especially now in this horrible consumerist disposable age of thoughtlessness, gluttony, and and self-indulgence, I, I think that maintaining something beyond ourselves, something bigger than ourselves, as a group effort which unites us to to maintain something which pre-exists us and which will be there generations after we've died. Mm. I think that's one of the most important things culturally that that, that we could push um, across the country, across mm. across the nation. I, I I think those are I think that all the lessons that we need to learn are encapsulated in that argument. Mm. Well, Bryce Stratford, uh, we've run out of time, but thank you so much for coming on the Project Podcast. It's Pleasure. Been fascinating. Lovely. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, why not subscribe to have the magazine delivered to your door? Subscribe today with the current offer of five issues for £10 by heading to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk.